Hello, my name is Eric Chow. I'm from the University of California, San Francisco. Today, I'm going to talk to you about Illumina Next Generation Sequencing Sample Preparation. So for today's talk, we'll do a brief review of next generation sequencing. Then we'll cover DNA and RNA library preparation methods. Followed by that, we'll go over bead-based sample cleanups, which are used really commonly in a lot of these protocols. And we'll end with sample quantification and QC of your libraries. So first, a brief review of Lumina sequencing. And as a reminder, we do have a video of this on the iBiology website that goes into more, uh, more depth. So Lumina sequencing occurs in these flow cells depicted on the left-hand side, and it's an optical sequencing method. Within these flow cells are oligos that are on the surface of the flow cell that capture libraries that are to be sequenced. And to prepare these libraries, we need to add adapters, which are these colored portions, onto our inserts that we want to sequence. Once the library has been captured onto the surface of the flow cell through multiple rounds of amplification, uh, you generate other strands. And eventually, you generate many, many copies of each of these strands on the surface of these flow cells. And these clusters of molecules are what get sequenced. And over here, I'm just depicting a schematic of how the sequencing works. So if we were to imagine that we have several different clusters of different molecules on the surface of the flow cell, and we run through the sequencing process where each of the bases are labeled by a different color, and we do this for multiple cycles, we can build up the sequence of each of those individual molecules. And so if you follow the top left cluster, uh, which is yellow, on the first cycle over here, you can see that it starts off as a yellow color, then becomes blue, red, red, green. And if we use the color scheme over here, we can decode that as an AGCCT. With the bottom right-hand cluster, it's blue, green, yellow, yellow, and then red. And this can be decoded as GTAAC. And so DNA library preparation is a process of adding those adapters that allow your DNA molecules to become captured and then sequenced onto these Illumina sequencing instruments. And so the goal is to add those adapters. And there are two different methods that I'll cover today for DNA library preparation. These are TrueSeq style and Nextera style methods. And then I'll go over enrichment strategies in, for the process of selecting certain DNA molecules that you want to sequence. So with TrueSeq style DNA library preparation, you begin with DNA uh, that's a long, uh, long molecule depicted in gray on the top left-hand side. The first step is to fragment that DNA into smaller bits that are appropriately sized for the Lumina sequencers. And these are generally, generally in the hundreds of bases uh, of length. This fragmentation results in DNA fragments uh, that are not polished. So they have certain overhangs on different ends. And the first step to repair those ends is to uh, blunt the ends using a mixture of different enzymes. This will generate double-stranded DNA that has no overhangs. And the next step is to add a single A base so that you have a single A overhang on your DNA inserts. And this allows the next step, which is ligation of the adapters. So the adapters are these colored molecules over here. And these adapters have a T overhang that allows it to base pair with the A overhangs on your inserts. And then this undergoes a ligation reaction. And at this point, you have a complete library that can go on for sequencing. If you don't have enough material, you can amplify this up using PCR, using primers that prime off of the adapter sequences that you've ligated on, and you can generate many copies. And so this would be a PCR prep 
to do the amplification. You can also have PCR-free preps, where you don't do any PCR amplification if you have enough material. And these can, both of these uh, molecules can go onto the sequencer. Another method of preparing DNA libraries is this Nextera process, which takes advantage of this property of transposases that allow them to insert DNA molecules into other large pieces of DNA. So again, if we start with, uh, let's say, genomic DNA that hasn't been fragmented, and we add these transposase enzymes that have the adapter sequences loaded onto them, these transposases will insert these DNA sequences into the DNA and actually fragment them into smaller bits. So in a single reaction, you fragmented the DNA and added partial adapters. The next step is to undergo a PCR reaction that'll use these partial adapters as priming sites for the PCR reaction to complete the library preparation and add the rest of the adapter sequences onto the molecules. So with these next Terra DNA library preps, you do have to do PCR. There isn't a PCR-free version that you can do. So a lot of times, you may not want to sequence every piece of DNA that's in your sample. And uh, let's say that, for instance, you're only interested in the coding regions of the human genome, which makes up a small percentage of the entire genome. It'd be a waste to sequence the entire sample because you're sequencing mostly things that you're not interested in. And so there are different enrichment strategies that allow you to target specific areas of the genome of your, or your sample for sequencing. And so in this case, let's pretend that the regions in pink and the DNA are the regions that you want to sequence. The first method uh, is a capture-based method. In this method, you generate a standard DNA sequencing library using either that Nextera or that TrueSeq uh, library prep method that we went over earlier. Uh, but once you've created that library, you have a mixture of molecules that have both the regions of interest in pink, but also these regions of interest that aren't of interest in gray. You have a panel of DNA oligos uh, that bind to your regions of interest uh, that also have a biotin molecule attached to it. So you take your DNA that includes both regions of interest and not interest. You add in these probes that allow you to capture specifically those pink areas of interest. And then you'll pull them down with beads using that biotin handle. You do some washes. And at the end, you have enriched for molecules that include those regions of interest. A second method is to use PCR amplification using lots and lots of different PCR primers. And in this method, you start with your genomic DNA and you design primer sets that will amplify up your regions of interest. And these primers also have partial lumen adapters at the end. You undergo a round or several rounds of PCR to amplify up these regions. And you wind up with uh, uh, some enrichment, but you don't have a complete library at that point. What you need to do is a second PCR reaction uh, to add on the final portions of the Illumina adapter to get a sequenceable molecule. So changing gears a little bit, moving on to RNA sequencing library preparation. Um, in this case, this is usually done to look at gene expression to identify which genes are turned on or off in a given sample. And most of the times, people are really interested in the protein coding uh, transcripts or messenger RNAs. These are polyadenylated transcripts. Uh, but they only make up a small portion of the total amount of RNA. Most of the RNA is made up of ribosomal RNA. And this is generally things that are um, undesirable that people don't want to sequence and waste their sequencing dollars. And so to prepare RNA sequencing libraries, there are a couple of extra steps. One is a depletion or enrichment step. 
The second is conversion of RNA to DNA, because the Illumina sequencers only work for DNA. You can't sequence RNA directly on these platforms. And then the last step, again, is to add sequencing adapters to complete the uh, DNA library preparation of that converted RNA. And I'm going to go over two methods today, um, the TrueSeq style library prep method for RNA, and also a method called SmartSeq. But there are many, many other types of library preparation for RNA. We just don't have time to go over all of them uh, in this talk. So first, we have to do some RNA enrichment to select for the polyadenylated messenger RNA transcripts. And there are two methods to do this. The first method is to take advantage of the fact that messenger RNA has a poly-A tail on the 3' end. And we can use a poly-A capture technique that uses beads that have oligo-DT on the surface. And these beads are able to capture the messenger RNA through this interaction with the poly-A tails. These can be washed so that the ribosomal RNAs um, are, um, are washed away. And then you elute the poly-A messenger RNA from the beads and go through a library preparation. A second method is instead of capturing poly-A RNA, you can deplete ribosomal RNA. And there are a couple different methods of doing this, but the most common method right now is using a probe, a DNA panel of probes that will bind to your messenger, that will bind to your ribosomal RNAs that also have a biotin handle on the end. So you go through a hybridization reaction where these probes will bind to ribosomal RNA, but not bind to poly-A RNA. And then you use magnetic beads to pull these out of the solution, and you're left with poly-A um, messenger RNA in your tube that you can go through library preparation. So with the TrueSeq sample preparation, what you do is you take your enriched RNA, and then you fragment that RNA into small bits that are appropriately sized for Illumina sequencing. And then you prime them so that you can undergo a reverse transcription reaction. Reverse transcription is a process where you take RNA and then use uh, primers and a reverse transcriptase enzyme to generate a cDNA copy of that RNA. After this process, you have um, single-stranded DNA, and you go through a process called second-strand synthesis so that you convert um, your single-stranded DNA into a double-stranded DNA that can go into library preparation. So once you have your double-stranded library uh, or your double-stranded DNA uh, that originally came from RNA, you can go through that TrueSeq sample DNA preparation that we went over earlier to generate a sequencing library. The next method of RNA library preparation that we'll go over is called SmartSeq. And this uses some of the same enzymes as the TrueSeq style RNA preparation, but it has one advantage in that you don't have to do uh, RNA enrichment step. And this is because the reverse transcription reaction is primed by a oligo-DT. And so this will, again, only bind to your messenger RNAs that have these poly-A tails at the end. And you go through this reverse transcription reaction, and so it'll make this copy of DNA using RNA as a template. One special thing about this process is that it uses a reverse transcriptase that has a template switching activity. It'll add a couple of non-templated C bases at the end of the cDNA. And this will allow a template switch oligo that's also present in the reaction uh, that contains a couple of G bases. So these G bases can hybridize on to those, T those C bases that got added by the reverse transcriptase. And then the reverse transcriptase will use this template switch oligo as a template, and it will continue the reverse transcription reaction 
so that you wind up with a tag cDNA that has handles on both ends, depicted in green here. This cDNA can now be amplified, and many copies can be made. And then this can go into a library preparation using either your TrueSeq-style DNA library prep or your Nextera library preparation methods to generate a library. So with sample preparation, you uh, a lot of times are not working with just a single sample. You're working with many samples. Uh, for instance, if you want to compare the uh, transcriptional profiles of treated and untreated sample or healthy and diseased, uh, you have several different samples that you want to sequence together. And it can be really inefficient if each of those samples goes on to their own sequencing reaction because it can cost a lot of money. One thing that you can do with these Illumina sequencing libraries is within those adapters to get added to the ends of your inserts, you can have different barcode sequences uh, so that each sample gets a unique barcode. And that's depicted over here. So let's say we have a sample that's already bound to the flow cell, um, so it's already attached to the surface. The adapters are here and here. We can add two different barcodes or index sequences onto these Illumina libraries. Uh, they're called the I7 and the I5 sequences. And again, these can be unique for each different sample that you prepare. And these can be pulled together and run on the single sequencing run. And so during the sequencing process, what happens is you, um, the first read that you do is the insert read for read one. After you've done that, you can strip that away, and then you could add on a sequencing primer to read this I7 index. So that'll hybridize on, and then you can do a couple sequencing cycles so that you get the barcode sequence for this molecule. Next, you flip the templates around so that this template becomes flipped and then bound on to the uh, flow cell. So if you switch your orientation, and then um, you can sequence the second index with a couple of cycles. And then after that's done, you can strip that away and then sequence your other end of your insert. And you can link all of these sequences together, so your insert reads and your barcode reads, because they're all constrained to the same area of that flow cell. And then you can use those barcode sequences to separate your reads into your different sample pools. So again, you're healthy or diseased, you're treated, you're untreated. So now I'm going to talk about bead-based sample cleanups. So many protocols use these magnetic beads. They're known as Ampure or Spry beads. And what they do is they allow you to clean up DNA without binding to a column. These can all be done in the same tubes that you're preparing your samples in. And you use a magnetic stand to help move those beads to the side uh, instead of using a, uh, a centrifuge. And these uh, beads take advantage of the fact that nucleic acids can be precipitated by polyethylene glycol, a polymer, and salt. And again, some of the advantages here is that it doesn't require a column or centrifuge to do the cleanup. And so it's really amenable to um, working with multi-channel pipettes or even uh, liquid handlers that can handle 96 or 384 samples at a time. And the other advantage is that by adjusting concentration of salt and polyethylene glycol, you can actually isolate specific um, sizes of nucleic acid, which has advantages. And this is based off some principles that were discovered in the 70s, um, where uh, some researchers realized that if you alter the concentration of PEG, um, also known as polyethylene glycol, you can precipitate different size fragments of DNA. So if you start off with a DNA with a wide size range, going from 100 bases all the way up to about 50,000 bases, if you have a high concentration of PEG, you can precipitate most of that DNA. 
And as you drop the peg concentration, you notice that you're precipitating only the larger fragments of DNA. And these authors realized that this could be used to take advantage. Uh, you could take advantage of this, uh, pro this property to isolate specific fragments of DNA. So in this example, instead of doing a few separate reactions, what they did was they started with a sample of DNA that has a large size range. They added 6% PEG, took everything that precipitated from there, and then took the supernatant that had the smaller fragments, moved that over to a new tube, added a little bit more PEG to bump up the concentration to then 6.5%, took the things that precipitated and took the supernatant and added some more. And doing the stepwise process, you can see that they're able to isolate specific ranges of DNA. And this is really handy for uh, next generation sequencing library prep because a lot of times we really want to isolate DNA of a certain size range. And this is a very easy way of doing this because you don't have to deal with any gels, cutting fragments out of gels, extracting them. This is all happening kind of in solution. Um, and uh, it's, it's very, very useful. So this method still depended on centrifugation because you had to spin down and precipitate DNA at the bottom of the tube. But in the 90s, a newer method using magnetic beads, um, but also with these PEG and sodium chloride uh, solutions um, came about. And essentially it works this way. You have a sample that you want to isolate nucleic acids from. You add your bead solution that contains these magnetic beads and PEG and salt. You mix it and let it sit for a few minutes. And this causes the nucleic acids to precipitate on the surface of these magnetic beads. You place a tube on a magnet. The beads with the nucleic acid get bound and then move to the side. And you can remove the supernatant and do a couple of washes. And then at the end, you can elute the DNA off of the beads just in water. Um, and that'll cause the DNA to come off of the beads. You put it back on the magnet, and then you take the supernatant that now contains your eluted nucleic acids and then you can move them into a new tube and then either go on to sequencing or the next step of your sample preparation. And again, all this doesn't require any tubes or doesn't require any columns or centrifuges. And there's an iBiology video if you want to look at a hands-on video of how this process works. So lastly, I'm going to go over sample quantification and QC. So sequencing can be really, really expensive. So it's really important that you check your libraries before you put them on the sequencer. Because once you spent that money, and if the samples were poor, um, you spent money on um, and weren't able to, you wouldn't be able to get much data out of it. And so there are different QC methods, but most of them will check the size distribution of the samples. And there are a couple different instruments that you can use to do this. So these include the Agilent Bioanalyzer Tape Station Fragment Analyzer. There's a system from Kaijin called the KaiXL, and another one from Perkin Elmer called the LabShip. And there are others out there as well. We do have a, another iBiology video about how to use and analyze data from the bioanalyzer if you want to get some more details about that process. Um, lastly, after QC, you also want to quantify your samples. Again, most of the times people aren't sequencing a single sample. They're sequencing multiple samples. And they want relatively equal numbers of sequencing representation from each of those samples. And this requires you to accurately quantify those individual samples so that you can make an even pool that goes onto the sequencer. And the methods that are most commonly used are qPCR or digital PCR, and also fluorometric approaches such as the qubit or pico green, uh, taking advantage of, uh, of fluorescent properties of certain dyes. Uh, we highly recommend not using something like a nanodrop because it's, uh, it's an absorbent-based method that's not very quantitative. 
uh, in the range of concentrations that DNA libraries usually come in. So I'd avoid using a nanodrop and stick with one of these methods here. So I get a lot of questions about how to do or analyze sample QC data, especially things that come off of these uh, capillary electrophoresis methods like the bioanalyzer. And so I'm going to take uh, a few moments to go over what some of the uh, examples look like. And so <clears throat> these capillary electrophoresis methods will show you a size distribution of your DNA sample. And so usually you have some plot that looks like this, where you have fluorescence on the y-axis and then size of your libraries or your samples on the x-axis. And within each sample, there's usually a standard that gets spiked into your sample. And so this usually includes a low marker and a high marker um, that are used as references. So these standards will get added to your sample, and then they get run. And a typical library will look like this. You have your lower and upper markers or your standards that show up. And then your actual DNA library will look like this. Um, because you have different size inserts, you don't get a sharp peak. You have some distribution. And so this is uh, a reasonably looking library that uh, you know, ranges from uh, you know, 150 or 200 bases out to about under 1,000 bases. And this is generally the, uh, the size range that you're looking for uh, for these um, Illumina next generation sequencing libraries. Sometimes you might see a short peak that's around 130 bases, um, especially if you're using these TrueSeq style library prep methods. And what that is is that's an adapter dimer. So this is a molecule that doesn't have an insert in gray. It's just two adapters that have ligated onto each other. It's empty. And there's essentially no uh, DNA of interest in there. And if you see this, you'll generally want to go ahead and then do another bead-based cleanup, taking advantage of that size selection property of the beads so that you can enrich for your libraries that have an insert and get rid of those adapter dimers. And a reason to get rid of adapter dimers is that they'll take up space on your sequencer and you're not going to get any usable data. So essentially, it's a waste of your sequencing if you have that in your sample. Other issues you might see, uh, if you see uh, kind of a, a smear on the very low end, close to that lower marker, usually that means you have primer contamination in your sample. And if you see that, that's generally something you want to get rid of, because this can interfere uh, with some of the sequencing reactions and, um, and cause problems, especially if you have barcoded samples that you're pulling together. So you definitely want to get rid of those. And again, you can use these bead-based cleanups to selectively get rid of these smaller fragments. With Nextera libraries, sometimes you wind up with a longer or wider distribution that looks like this. And this is um, OK to go on the sequencer. And, and it's just a property of this Nextera process. If you are interested in a specific size range, again, you can use those beads to generate a tighter distribution. And you can shift that size range to the appropriate size for your needs. Lastly, something very common that I see are something called bubble products. These look like they have a reasonably sized library over here, but they have a secondary peak that's about twice the size. And what happens here is that you may have over-amplified your library so that you run out of primers. And so what happens is through um, downstream PCR cycles, um, your samples get denatured. But because there are no um, primers to kind of complete the next round of extension, these molecules will come back together and they'll hybridize by the adapter sequences. But chances are um, molecules aren't going to find the matching insert DNA. They'll bind to some other piece of library. So you get a bubble product where at the ends, the adapters are binding, but the inserts are not binding in the middle. And this will generally lead to um, a fragment that shows up twice the size. And these are OK to sequence as well, but just something to, to be aware of. And it's, it's generally OK to sequence those samples. 
so in summary, you know, to prepare DNA libraries, you have to isolate your DNA or your RNA from your samples, and then you have to convert that material into a library. And this means adding adapters onto properly sized inserts. And again, many molecular biology enzymes can be used for this process. I've only covered a couple of different methods. There are many, many methods, many different kits out there, and some have certain advantages. So if you have uh, a specific need, I would contact um, you know, your DNA sequencing facility at your local campus, and they can give you suggestions on some of the best methods to use for your application. And lastly, I um, want to definitely stress this, is that you want to quantify and check the quality of your libraries before you sequence them. Uh, just because um, you know, the process can be expensive and you want to make sure that uh, you get the best data possible and make sure that your samples look good before you sequence them. And with that, I would like to thank you for your time today and um, hope you enjoyed this talk.